So this week, and uh, if you're new, this is an interesting week for you to be here because we're right in the heart of our series on relationships. And if you've missed any of the, the sermons so far, they're all online. You can catch up with them. There's, I think this is the fourth of fifth, five uh, sermons in the series. And so far, we've talked a little bit about gratitude in relationships, loneliness in relationships, vulnerability in relationships, and today we're talking about conflict in relationships. Um, how many people here by show of hands have never had a relational conflict? Okay, good. We're all in the same boat then today. And the next week, we're going to talk about giving. And specifically, I'm going to be giving you just as many practical practicalities, a practical list of how to give in our relationships. And uh, you may be surprised about some of what I have to offer there. So, um, yeah, you can catch up if you've missed these, but I'll, if, you, if you missed them before, if you're just new today, I'll, I'll catch up as well. Um, so, throughout this whole series, we've been talking about this Christ-shaped image of, of love, which is so different than the kind of love that the world teaches us how to do. The, the, our culture, especially right now, is really bad at understanding what selfless and self-giving love looks like. And, uh, and so we, we have this uh, image that I showed last week, which captured some of the great Christ hymn in... Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, who being very nature God, this pre-existing person, this, this person, uh, the, one of the three personalities of God, so to speak, coming down and taking human image, taking on human form, in the, in the form of a servant he came. And we have this movement kind of down from the left-hand side of a V. And this is like a beautiful image of of God becoming human, and we're about to hit Christmas time. It's coming up quick, and we'll talk a little bit about God becoming human. But we have this manger scene uh, where Jesus becomes, uh, becomes human, and all the way down, taking on the image of a servant. And at the very bottom, Paul says, he became obedient even to death, death on a cross, which is the, the epitome of, of selfless love, and then up he comes. And because of that, God glorified him and gave him the name that was above all every name, that at his name, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the, the vision of who Jesus was to, sh to show us that the very nature of God is love itself and self-giving love. And so as we do so, we have to remind ourselves over and over again about what this love is about. And when Paul says stuff like, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and do everything without grumbling or arguing. He's not giving us just good practical advice. He's not saying, well, this is how you should be if you're going to be a good person. He's doing something far deeper and far greater, which is to link up our very being as Christians, the very ways we act and relate to the world around us with Jesus himself. And so this is at the heart of Philippians and at the heart of this, this teaching. And I've, as I was going through this sermon this week, I was kind of filtering back through my relationships in my life. And I have, some, have had some good relationships, and some of them have gone well, and I've had some great friendships, and I've um, had some bad ones. And there have been seasons of my life where I have just left kind of a wreckage of relationships behind. And if I actually sit down and start journaling, like, here's a broken relationship, and here's a person that I'm estranged with, and here's someone that we never really reconciled, I reconciled with, that list is actually embarrassingly long. 
And um, the, the longer we live, it seems like the longer that kind of list grows. And it just breaks my heart because there are people in my life who I just, I love and I have had good relationships with, but we just don't really talk anymore. And there's reasons for that. And so I don't know about you, but this is, this is a reality in, in my life. And, um, and so as we think through this, as we think through doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and doing everything without grumbling and arguing, there's a lot for us to learn here, and uh, we're, we're going to dive into this a bit today. But when we do, when we do, when we get into conflict, um, when we get into the idea of conflict, it's tricky because we hate it, don't we? We really despise conflict. Like we hate approaching someone else, another broken human being, and trying to point out something that's not right because we're afraid of the reaction. We're afraid we're going to hit a nerve and maybe one of our accusations against them is going to set them off and trigger them and they're going to come back at us. And that is never a happy feeling. Uh, human relationships are not meant to have conflict in them. They're meant to be uh, filled with unity and peace from the very beginning. But once everything was broken from the beginning of our story of humanity, uh, things uh, in this relational sphere of our lives just get broken. And so in this day and age, even as Christians, even as people who are redeemed and are trying to follow Jesus's ways, conflict is inevitable. We have to know how to do conflict in the way of Jesus if we're going to be um, helping him restore this world. And I'd like to say to us today, I've said it before, but I'd like to say it again, that if we have any wish of joining with God and restoring the world, it's going to begin in relationships. If we do these well, if we do relationships well, much of the, the work of justice that we have to do in the world, of making things right, will follow suit. So it's really important for us to, to dive into this. Um, and second of all, I don't know if you sense this too, but in our culture today, like we, we live in a day that's filled with all sorts of shopping and products and competing products. And there's like, you know, dish soap and uh, toys and internets and phone companies. Like it's all around us. And if one of those products fail us, what do we do? We put a bad review up on Google and then we move to the next one. And uh, in relationships, our culture teaches us to do this as well. If something's not going well in a relationship, once we start getting tension and, and getting into conflict, it's easy. We just move on. We just uh, move on from, from relationship to relationship. And we realize that um, if, the more that we do this, the more that we just move on and not deal with conflict, um, the more relationships uh, that, we have, that we leave in our wake um, of destruction. So uh, it just, and it bundles up. And if we have enough, enough relationships that are in turmoil, our whole quality of life is shot. And, and, you, and you talk about uh, the quality of life, satisfaction in life. And I don't know if you know this, but when they do measurements of satisfaction, humans that are satisfied with their lives, relationships are at the heart of that. When relationships are in turmoil, it's almost impossible to have satisfaction in life. But when relationships are at peace, the satisfaction levels are higher. So anyway, enough of trying to paint the picture of how important this is. So we get into the book of Philippians here. This is Paul. He's in jail when he's writing this little letter to the Philippians. It's a little New Testament letter that you'll find near the end of your Bibles. Uh, Paul is writing to a group of Christians that he helped, uh, a church that he helped found, and um, he's moved on since from that community. He's giving some pastoral advice, how to go about still being Christians when it's tough. He's opened up some fears to them. He's in jail, and he says, I don't know how this is going to end. 
I don't know how this, this is going to end for me, good or bad. Uh, I'm afraid. He, he shares that with them, but he was confident. And he's saying, I know how to be content in this situation, within my sufferings, within the hard conflicts of life. I know how to be content. And I know how to link up my heart with Christ's heart. And as we'll see today at the end of this passage that we're in, I know how to experience and engage the peace that surpasses all understanding. Any situation that we're in, any conflict that we find ourselves in, there's a way of being at peace, even when the relationship's not at peace. So he's giving them some pastoral advice. He's encouraging them to think similarly about their sufferings. And then he gives us some of the most beautiful teachings about Jesus, about who he is, uh, about his nature, about his nature of love, which we talked about last week. And he's going to continue to link up Jesus' way of being his love with the way Christians should be. And now he's going to, in chapter 3, we open chapter 3, and he's going to remind us once again that we have to be joyful by saying this. Watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. (laughs) And if you've ever read Philippians, and you get to chapter 3, and you read this, all of a sudden you're like, "I'm, I'm pulled smack dab into some conflict, into some weird sort of conflict of the ancient world, and you kind of have to know about the history of early Christianity and all which happened to get this part. I'm not going to dive into that. I'm not going to teach you that today. But all that to say, he's going to say, I was like the best Jew you could imagine. I did all sorts of things to try to show that I was after God's heart, that I understood God. And now there are people who are Jewish and Christian who are trying to do the same thing. They're bringing their Jewish zeal into Christianity in a way that Jesus didn't have in mind. They're outside of Jesus' vision of who God is. And we get this reminder, and this is the point today that I'll, I'll bring out of this, that we can be so convinced, any one of us, that we have understood God, that we understood his heart and his love, but we can be so far from it. And that Paul said, that was me. I, that's who I was. I thought I knew God so well. I knew it thought, I thought, I knew what God wanted and what his heart was, but I was so far away from it. And it's the challenging for, thing for Christians to think through. We can think that we understand and know God so well, but we can be so far from his heart, which is why we need Jesus, because Jesus opens up God's heart profoundly about who he is and what he's about. And so Paul says, he's going to make this connection. I'm going to be, in my life as a Christian, in order to prevent and to avoid this, I'm going to be on this lifelong, all-consuming pursuit of knowing Jesus. He says, but whatever were gains to me, whatever, whatever th- uh, things I was doing to think I, I was loving God and, and showing everyone the world of, in the world who God was, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That's a bunch of big words and, and kind of religious language, but ultimately at the end he's saying, I can't live my life oriented to anything else but this Jesus. And why? Why do you want to know Christ? Well, we have these words, power of his resurrections, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Some people do this for a living, you know, like they're missionaries across the world to very dangerous places to go to be a Christian. They, they, they literally go and they give their life and share in his sufferings and are beaten literally. And some of them are martyrs and have been killed or beheaded. Like there's a whole uh, 
tradition of mission work that we as Christians honor and, um, and, and think about. But it's not just about the literal suffering and the literal death. There is a uh, symbolic layer to this as well, which means that whatever you're going through in your life, whatever sufferings you're encountering, you can be like him in his sufferings. You can suffer like he did. You can become like him in his ability to give his self away so that another may live. And somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, which means what is it in your life that has died and needs to come back to life? This is the, one of the biggest reasons why, why we become Christians is we link ourselves up to the power of Jesus and his way, which gives us life where there is no life. So Paul, is, he's, he's doing this great work of linking up every little connection, every little detail about Jesus and showing us what it means for us to live like he, he lived. And, and if, we, if we think for a second this has uh, to do only with something about our future and, and what, we, what we do after we die, remember Paul's saying, in your relationships, have the same attitude of Christ. He's saying, think about this. Jesus and who he was and what he was about has everything to say about the way you do your relationships. So getting us back into this headspace here. Um, and he's moving on here. He says in, in the end of chapter 3, I've told you often and I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And what he means by enemies of the cross of Christ, not just enemies of Christ. The enemies of Christ are those who would kill him, those who would shame him, those who would, in, in another letter, those who would crucify him again by denying him. That's, early Christians talk a lot about, about uh, the enemies of Christ, but this is not just the enemies of Christ, this is the enemies of the cross of Christ. And again, he's pointing to Christians saying that those of us who live thinking that life is about comfort and about, about uh, self-actualization, and those of us who think that flourishing is the bottom line, he, he says, these are enemies of the cross of Christ, the way of being which brings us into sacrificial giving and sacrificial relating. Um, he's, and, he, and he says it with tears because, because they haven't really taken deeply into their heart what the cross means in every piece of their life. So making our way through here, through chapter 3. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Like Do everything you can to be planted deeply and firmly in the way of the cross, in the way of Christ. And this is going to matter in everything. He says, I plead with Iodia and Sintichi, to Greek, good Greek names. You know, we're in Philippi, which is in, in Greece. So there's two women in, in the church. To be of the same mind in the Lord, they are in conflict. And I'm going to go into this a little bit today. I'm going to take this as my point of departure. Iodia and Sintiki. Um, I had to look online, like Google, how do you pronounce Greek names? Be of the same mind into, of the Lord. Paul's not saying that they need to think alike and have the same beliefs to the great detail, but he's, he's saying that, that you need to come back into relationship, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Um, and so what does conflict look like, maybe perhaps in the life of these two, two women? And as another caveat, uh, I'm going to sort of Im get it, like imaginatively think, we don't know what their conflict was, these two women in the church, um, but I'm going to make one up, and I'm going to imagine one. And um, 
I feel like I'm in a little, like a little thin ice here as I talk about relational conflict between women. <laughs> I could just like imagine the guys, but here, here's what I want to say. We're going to talk about this imaginary conflict between these women, and um, I just want to say a caveat, like. The reason why I think women are in so much conflict with one another, oh God, here I go, <laughs> is because you're actually doing the hard work of relationship far more than men are. <laughs> I think that's probably true. Uh, you're doing the hard, real work of relationship. And men, we just probably tend to shy away and, and close our emotions off. So I'm not saying that women are the only ones who have conflict. I'm saying you guys are the ones in the mix of it and, and doing the relationship. So. Anyway, I'll, I'll keep on going here. Um, so, <laughs> uh, an initial, another initial caveat to you. I'm, I'm full of caveats today. Uh, I'm going to give you some relationship advice today based upon the cross and based upon Philippians. And I guarantee you're going to say, Keith, but you don't know my situation. You don't know the person that I'm trying to relate with. That's true. I don't know your context. And all of us probably will hear some of this cross-shaped relationship advice and say, yeah, but you just don't realize how that won't work with the person that I'm trying to relate with. It's true. I don't know those things. So um, I'm not trying to say that this is, these are silver bullets, but I'm trying to say there are ways we can enter into conflict cross-shaped that I think are tried and true in all of our, our conflict. And so as a, as a reminder... Last week, we talked about vulnerability, why vulnerability was the opening of, of relationships, how vulnerability is the thing which keeps relationships healthy and alive. But Christ-cross-shaped vulnerability feels like death. It feels like we're going to give up a little too much of ourselves. It's like we're getting cheated. This is how Christian conflict resolution feels, because it's taken its cues from the cross. And that's what Jesus felt on the cross. And I remember the hymn, he, he became obedient like a servant. He became obedient to, to death, even death on a cross. This is what this means when it hits our life, that when we're vulnerable like Christ, we're going to feel like death, like we're giving too much of ourselves away, like we're getting cheated. Now, here's, here's another caveat. Christian conflict is never about avoiding the truth. Sometimes people take this teaching, this idea of uh, giving ourselves to reconciliation in sacrificial ways. We take this as we'll just keep our mouth shut, we'll avoid the truth, we'll keep the peace at all costs. Uh, but that's not what this is. And I've talked about this in some of the previous sermons, so you can go back if you want to hear more about that. Um, Christians are called to the truth. We're called to justice. We're called to bringing truth out into the open. Uh, justice serves reconciliation beautifully. We cannot have reconciliation without justice. So I'm not talking about um, a type of way which ignores the truth. But if we are always invulnerable, if we are always giving the narratives to the world and to ourselves that we are completely innocent and, and, and other people are the problem, um, if we're completely invulnerable in our relationships, they're going to go nowhere. They're going to stagnate, and we're going to find ourselves at impasses. So, Yodia and Sintihi, two women at loggerheads. Okay, here's my scenario. Let's pretend that, let's imagine that they were at a wedding. We don't know what their conflict was, but let's imagine that they're at a wedding. And uh, 
the wedding was a beautiful wedding of their friends. They were there to celebrate a, a, a wedding. Uh, they're both um, on the market. They're both uh, single. They're both looking for partners. And at this wedding, uh, Iodia uh, is being pursued by a groomsman. And, uh, and Santichi um, sees this happening and knows this groomsman and knows that he's not a good guy. Don't fall for this, Eodia. Uh, and so, so what um, Sintiki does is comes up to Yodia and says, Yodia, you don't want to be with this guy. Just ignore him and just, just, just uh, have a fun night without him. Uh, and Yodia looks back and feels bitter and says, Sintiki, there's no guy that, guys that want to pursue you. You're just jealous of me. And the, the, the phrase goes through, Sintiki like a dagger through the heart. And then they don't speak again. The morning comes and they leave the wedding. And years pass. Uh, and they didn't try and reconcile. They just went on. So, so years later, let's talk, we're talking about years later now, um, they get invited to the same wedding again. And they haven't talked to each other. And they show up and they see one another across the lobby of the hotel. And they have some small talk. And Sintiki says to Yoria, hey, we haven't talked in years. Uh, do you want to go for a walk and see if we can talk out what happened between us? Okay, so that's the scenario. <laughs> a little bit of drama. I told you uh, many, many sermons ago that I really like Days of Our Lives. <laughs> so point number one with Yodia and Sintiki. In conflict as Christians, always lead with your fault. This is very hard to do because in, a, in, the, emotional, uh, in the emotional context of conflict, we tend to lead pointing fingers. You said this. You did this. You did something wrong to me. We tend to want to start with that. Okay? Uh, and Jesus, Jesus says, don't do this. Start with your own faults in any relationship. The way he talks about this is he makes up this image of like someone, have saw, someone having sawdust in their eyes and another person having this big like broomstick plank coming out of their eye. This is a funny image. He says, why do you try to take, um, take the sawdust out of someone, eye, someone else's eye when there's a plank sticking out of your own? In conflict, muster up all the emotional competency you can and always begin with your fault. Um, so here's the thing. Like, I'm just, I've, I've really, I'm the worst at this. <laughs> like, I, have to, I have to practice this. I have to really try hard, not just to come to a situation, because I can get so wrapped up when there's a problem or when something's not going right, and I just want to point out what I think is wrong and, and just let's solve it. But it never works. Because it puts the person on edge thinking that I think I've got everything well in my life and it's all in order and the co conflict resolution can't happen. So when we come into conflict, we always begin with our own fault. So what, what could we imagine Yodia to say? They, they start taking a walk and Yodia might say, you know what? I haven't tried to reach out in years. And guess what? I said something terrible to you that I've regretted for all these years. Uh, that might, be, that might be an example of how that begins. Or maybe Sintiki begins, you know what, um, I was jealous of you. Or I should have reached out sooner to share that I 
am at pain that this relationship is over. Uh, I shouldn't have come at you so directly when you were having a great time. I should have come, with, come at you with questions. I should have come at you. Do you know this guy? Uh, do, you, do you really want to just to do this thing at this wedding? I should, you know, we can always find our own faults, even if it's very tiny, even if we think that we have most, most uh, innocence in, in a situation, we can always find something that we've done wrong. And if you can't, know thyself. <laughs> if, if you think you've done nothing wrong in, in a scenario, um, then perhaps you have some journaling to do. Uh, we've got to find just a little bit of fault, and we lead with it. The next thing, always second with your weakness. Lead with your fault, second with your weakness. Here's why I'm hurt. Not here's what you did wrong to me. We want to get there, right? We want to get, here's what you said, here's what you did, here's what you took away from me, here's what's wrong. We, we want to get straight to that point. We're getting there. We're not going to just ignore that. But we start with our fault, we second with our weakness, which is to say, let me teach you about me. Let me teach you about my weakness. Let me teach you about the ways that I'm compromised. Let me teach you about the ways that, uh, that the, what you did hurt me. So Yorde might say, you, you know, you didn't know, Sintiki, that my older brothers were forever um, scaring away guys that were pursuing me. You didn't know that about me. Um, but I've got a trigger here. And when you came up to me straight away and just challenged me like that, it brought back all the memories of my, my, my growing up. Lead with our, 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 our second with our, our weakness. Teach each other where we're weak. This is about the cross, guys. This is, this is how this looks. Um, my, maybe Yodia says, my father never paid attention to me. He was always off working. And when guys pay attention to me, I'm just, I cannot, I cannot ignore that. Teach each other where we're compromised. Uh, or Santihi might say, my mother was always ashamed of my bo our body type as a family. And I just think of myself as horrific and no guy would ever want me. Uh, if, you, if we do this, if we start with our fault, Second with our weakness, the, the ground is inevitably softened. The relational heart ground is inevitably softened, and we will disarm all that we do to try to um, come at each other. The ground is soft. And, uh, you know, we think of Paul's example or his teaching, do everything without grumbling or arguing. You know, we want to just get in and grumble and argue, don't we? Argue back and forth of whose fault it is and who did what and back and forth. Paul says, avoid that. And here's how to avoid it. I think it's tried and true. Start with our faults, second with our weaknesses. Um, and then we get to the here's how you wronged me part. Once we've softened the ground, then, then Yoda might say, Sisintiki, you didn't, you didn't ever take the time to know me. You came at me thinking that you were you're self-righteous in your perspective, but you never took the time to know me. And it really, really hurt when you made the, all those assumptions about me. I can take care of myself. I know my limits. Um, I just wish that you would have gotten to know me a little better. Or Santiki, what she, she might say something like, um, uh, you know, you sent a spear through my heart with your words. When you said that uh, I was just jealous of you, it was like, uh, like putting a spear through my heart. 
Like, we're at the place where we have to speak the truth. We have to get there in relationships. We have to get to the point where we pinpoint what was wrong in the, in, in the relationship. If we don't, if we never get there, it'll always live under the surface like a burr, um, you know, in, in, uh, in our skin or like, a, like a, uh, a sliver in our fingernail. It'll always be there. We've got to get out what was wrong. And, and sometimes we try, and we, and we don't get at it. And we have to get it a second try, and we don't get it a second try. But if we never speak what was wrong, I'm always going to think to myself, you've wronged me and never admitted to it. And you're always going to say to yourself, I've wronged you and not admitted to it. We've got to get to the truth and speak what was wrong. But don't go there right away. Soften the ground first. Um, they may or may not admit it, um, but, and you might say, look, Keith, I've got a, a relationship, and you're telling me to come with weakness and fault. If I do that, they're going to take it and run with it. They're, they're not going to respond. They're just going to lord it over me and keep me in a position of uh, submission. You don't know these people. You're right, I don't. But I do know the way of the cross, which is vulnerability and self-sacrifice. Like you're giving a little bit too much away. The only way, and we, as Christians, we, our calling is reconciliation. Our calling is ongoing, ever-present reconciliation. So we have to be able to try to give ourselves in the way of Christ to our relationships like this. Um, and they may not admit they're wrong. You may come to it and say, I've pinpointed how you've wronged me, and I've named it, and they may not admit it. That's true. But you still should do it anyway. Um, but let me give you some advice if they don't admit they're wrong. Because at this point, we have to, to, to gather up some of our great emotional competence. Um, so start with fault, second with our weakness, follow with our hurt. So here, here's kind of a, a way to put it all on one slide. Start with our fault, then to our weakness, then to our hurt. But if needed, now communicate your hope. If they're not going to admit what they've done wrong, if they're going to be self-righteous, which they may be, you have to go through another series of things in your mind. And there's, there's four steps here. And again, we want to get right down to I feel. If, if, if someone's self-righteous with us, we've opened our heart, we've been vulnerable, and they're just self-righteous back, that's going to be painful. That's going to really hurt. Uh, and we're going to want to get to the feel. Oh, I'm so hurt. You hurt me like so bad. This I feel so embarrassed. I feel so enraged. And we have to, again, prevent ourselves from going straight there. Now, we have to get there, but we have to prevent ourselves from going straight there. See, think, feel, and want. This is someone gave me this once, and it's really helped me. I see that we haven't talked in years, Sintihi. I think it's because we really didn't understand each other well in this context. Um, I see that you don't think you had any wrong here. And I think it's because maybe you're not fully understanding or hearing me. And it makes me feel rejected and angry that you wouldn't even want to, to, uh, to admit this. But here's what I want. I want our relationship to be restored. So oftentimes in conflict, we're just talking about our hurts and our feelings. And those are valid and good, and there's a place for it. But if we're only ever talking about our hurts and our feelings in conflict, we're never going to get out of it. It's just going to keep going and going and going. So when we get to this place where it's not, conflict isn't going well, let's not jump into feel right away. 
let's take a moment, talk about what we see, talk about what we think about that, and let's make sure we're communicating what we want. This is just they're important components in, in relationship. Now, this is all sort of mechanical and, you know, go through these steps and, yeah, that's true, but it's like any good thing, any discipline or any good thing. Once you start doing this, it gets into your bones. It gets into your way of being. It, it becomes second nature. You begin remembering that I can't just uh, maximize my heart and my feelings, but I've got to do lots of other things to help get through conflict. Uh, and so I, I would invite you to think about this paradigm, this way of thinking uh, that gets us through, I think, so now I've, I've used this for, for a few years and I'm just beginning to, to learn fully how to embody this um, about faults and, and uh, weaknesses. It's so hard to give those things away to someone who you may feel like might trample upon them. But again, if our relational life is filled with strife, the, our ability to be satisfied is going to be virtually zero and our ability to restore the world with Jesus is not going to work. So uh, it's worth it. It's worth learning. I mean, how many things do we devote our time and energy to learning? And we're, but we're so bad at relationships sometimes. So uh, again, I'll put this up on, on the Facebook page in case you're, you're curious. But this is the general cross-shaped way through conflict that I know. Um, see, think, feel, want. And you may think, this is fatiguing, Keith. <laughs> You know, if I did this in my relationships, I'd be so tired. Yes, and it's worth it. Uh, if you don't, if you neglect this way of being, uh, there's only pain. There's really only pain ahead in, in your relationships. So Paul goes on. He, he, we, get, we get past our imaginary scenario with Yodi and Sintiki. And he goes on, and he's continuing over and over again to continue to connect Jesus up to our daily life. Uh, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, Paul's like, I, I'll say it one more time, but actually he's said 10 times already in the letter if you've been counting. Rejoice, this is an important. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And we find out that rejoicing has nothing to do with our suffering. It has nothing to do with our happiness. It's not an emotion. It's a muscle. It's something that we learn to engage. I was talking with a friend this week who is going through something just terrible. And he said, Keith, I'm finally learning what joy is. Because he said, it's like this muscle that I never knew I had. And I have to use it or I'm just going to wake up every day sad. He's like, I've been sick in this muscle my whole life. Um, but I'm beginning to use it. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul's saying, we can find our way into a way of being which is um, relaxed, even if our uh, relationships uh, don't end in, in unity and peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If your relational conflict resolution isn't going well, or if it doesn't go well, even if you put into place all of these things, um, there's a way in which we can find peace. And it's not just walking away from the scenario, not just walking from the relationship, but while it's in process, we can learn to lift it up in prayer over and over and over again. And that's what Paul says part of his secret is. Is lifting up whatever is anxious, whatever makes us anxious, um, into the heart of God. 
Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I know this is challenging. Um, and I know this is very difficult. This is not easy stuff. Uh, and I'm, I'm just right with you and learning it all. Uh, but I have a few, a few to-dos, a few maybe th- uh, things that you might do this afternoon uh, before I get done. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about generosity and giving. Um, and some of you have begun saying to me, uh, Keith, okay, this is all good stuff, but now what? Like, I can learn these things in my mind, but how do I do them? And that's the right question. It's like, how does the love of God come in me? It's, I know it's not just about following steps, step A, step B, step C. We know that's, that's not how it works. So how does the love of God get in me? And we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to come to that uh, question in the coming weeks. Uh, but today I'll just give you a few more suggestions, some to-dos. See if you can journal about a relationship conflict you are avoiding. Just try and give it words. Can you find, like, where are you avoiding conflict in a relationship that maybe you should rethink? Just, just try and give it words. I'm not saying you should go reconcile right away. Just try to, try to give words to what happened. Try to list out the people in your life from whom you are estranged. It's kind of a hard thing to do, but sobering as well. Okay, there's more than I realize when I really think about it. Is there a step, any steps God is asking you to take towards reconciliation? Know yourself. Can you put into words the ways you are most fragile as a human? Not as an excuse, but as a way to share it with others. If, if we're going to do conflict, well, we have to know ourselves. If we're going to share our weaknesses, we have to know our weaknesses. So I'd encourage you, take some time to know your personality, know your propensities, but not as a way to lord it over someone, not as an excuse. Well, I'm just this way, or I went through this experience. It may be valid, um, but you're not just going to use it to give an excuse of why you are the way you are. You're going to give it away. You're going to share it. You're going to share it in in relational conflict. Uh, Number four, try and share one fault this week you have contributed to a relationship. Do you know of one fault in your relationship? Just a good exercise. Um, One fault in a relationship, try and share it with someone this week. I finish this question. I am not always the best at dot, dot, dot. I'm not always the best at something. I'm not, and that's okay. You're human. I'm not always the best at dot, dot, dot. And try to give that away, that phrase away in a relationship and see what happens. What would our relational world look like if we really got this down? What would our relational life look like if we could learn to embody a Christ cross way of being in relationships? Um, what would be true about our lives that isn't true now? I just, I wonder, I wonder. Uh, but in, in a community like this, in a church community, uh, this happens all the time. We need to be able to communicate when we've let each other down. We need to be able to communicate when we hurt each other. Because we're in close quarters uh, in, in our family of faith. And uh, we've got to be really good at this. And what would be true about this community? What would people feel walking into a community that was a master at walking through relational conflict? I don't know. I think that there would be something unimaginably strong about it. Uh, just some questions that I'm left with today. So as we finish off, as we uh, move out of this today, uh, the question to you is, what is God saying to you? Like, what is he, what is he saying to you? It, it's probably different for everyone. Uh, 
And it may be something that you may be ready to hear, and it may be something you're not quite ready to hear. That's okay. Uh, but he's speaking to each one of us. And listen to that. Be confident in that. Trust your intuition. And we have a couple songs left to respond. So uh, this morning, as we, um, as we continue to worship, as we bring now our, our minds and our hearts to God, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice, reminding that Jesus' way is so foreign to us that we've got to take it in week after week and, and be reminded. So I invite you forward, friends, with your prayers, with your questions, with your hearts. Share them now with the Lord who is here and with us. The Lord is near. The table here is set, and everyone is welcome.